Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. But Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton is fine. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects, and connecting with me now live on Zoom is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Coming off a statement win in Milwaukee and we got a guest today. We got the wow playing, the three-point shooting, the wine slinging, the wine oh. lord himself, Channing Fry. Channing, oh. welcome to the podcast, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Keep it going. This feels good. <laughs> this Former feels Cleveland good. Cavalier, current NBA analyst, and forever champion, Channing Fry Carter. Oh, you got to get all. You got to get the whole resume don't, in there. I had to talk me. about the. Don't remind oh, me. Oh, don't worry oh he it. had oh. it ready. I keep it ready. I keep. There are certain things that I'm really proud. Uh, this is my first ever award ever that I keep right next to my desk. So this is 1991. I was eight years old, right? And then it was next to my championship, which is then next to our, you know, my wine bottles and pictures of my family. So I'm always inspired by where I've been and where I'm going and all that kind of stuff. But the championship, I got to remind myself that I uh, piss excellence every morning. <laughs> Well, if last night's game wasn't enough to get us hype, bringing out the ring, it would definitely do it. But I, I want to start with talking about the, the game last night because that was absolutely a statement win. Uh, even an optimist like myself, I, I was feeling a little skeptical, uh, Jared Allen, game time decision and whatnot. Janning, how impressed were you by the Cavs' performance last night? And were you surprised that they came out and handled Milwaukee the way that they did? No, you know what? I'm not I can't say that I'm surprised because I've already been so surprised by this team. I don't have my expectations have been blown out of the water. Um, I think the biggest thing you look at them is the next man up mentality. Uh, And that comes from a culture of we expect to win regardless, right? It's really, really easy to be a loser in this league and to get stats or say, woe is me. And, you know, we get guaranteed paychecks in the NBA and regardless if you win or lose you're going to continue to get those paychecks and with social media you could have 25 points on 25 shots your team lose and people are like well it's okay it's not your fault but if you look at this team you have a great mix and i say this on nba tv all the time they have an almost perfect mix of aggressive uh engaged hungry humble youth um with veteran leadership and a culture of we expect to win every single night. And it's hard for a young team to realize what it takes to win. But I think we took for granted that Jared Allen is a winner. He's a veteran. He's He knows who he is. He's a star in his role. I think he's an all-star. Mm-hmm. I think Greg Anthony and I, you know, joke back and forth of who's more the all-star, him or Darius Garland. But the fact that we're having this argument is great, is amazing. And I think... When you have leaders, when you have guys that are, you know, that are going to give you your, let's say for, you know, like Jared Allen, he's going to give you 15 and 11 and and he's going to block shots and he's going to pick it up defensively. When you have those consistent players, it makes everyone else's job easy because then we're not asking you to go from 10 points to 30. We're asking you to go from 10 to 15 (laughs) because if everyone goes up five, we're going to win the games we're not supposed to win, even if people um, uh, are, are missing. And so sorry that I went on a long rant, but th- this Cavs team, it's, it's rare to find this and it's wild how it snapped. Um, I was talking to Kevin uh, just the other day and I was like, was it like, was it after Team USA? We're like for Darius Garland because he's 22, but it's rare to see a player with his cadence right? He does, he makes the right play mm-hmm. every time. It's, it almost hurts because I'm like, <laughs> please make a mistake, like do a stupid mistake, nothing. 
hey, easy kick-up pass. He's patient. Let the offense come back. He gets it. Easy pass. Alley-oop. Floaters, right? Not going into the lane too much. Like dribbling. I think I was watching um, the game against the Nets. He drove by somebody, could have shot a, a tough contested floater, dribbled it out, kept the kept the, the mismatch, looked in for his big man, Jared Allen, and then the whole team, like just that type of energy um, and, and maturity is awesome. And, and this Cavs team is, is awesome to watch. So, you know, something that I was just thinking about looking at a team like this is like, I feel like teams tend to win on a combination of, of three kind of base, you know, attributes. It, they win on talent, they win on experience, and they win on chemistry. What parts of this season do you think the Cavs are like overperforming on? I don't think anyone really thought they were that talented. They certainly aren't that ex- uh, going into the year. They certainly aren't that experienced going into the year. And they, they, they really weren't exactly renowned for having the best culture. Do you think they're more talented than we thought? Do you think that they've got a better culture than we thought? Like, what do you, what do you see from them? That's like, wow, they're way better than they should be because of X. Uh, JB Bickerstaff. And I'm not saying that cause that's my guy, but I'm be honest, like his communication. I thought that hire was great. And I said that, and I thought anytime you can have a coach, that can communicate to guys that are 19, 20, 21 years old, ask them to star in their role. And then the upper management brings in players that complement your talent, right? There's no excuse, you know, even without Colin, just think like people forget Ricky Rubio was having a, a low key. He would have been six man of the year. Yeah. He was having 30 point triple doubles as a veteran. Right. Kevin Love embraced his role as a six man. Where does that come from? That that is trust. Right. That we're going to win. We're expected to win. And I'm trusting you as the leader, which is the coach, which is upper management, that we are doing the right things. And then all those things fall in line. Right. And, And I'll say this. When we won a chip in 16, everybody forgets that. Excuse me. Richard started when Kevin went out. Right. And uh, like Richard started because T. Lou was like, hey, Richard, I need you to do A, B, C, and D. These are going to be your minutes. And then when Kevin comes back, we'll see where we are. But you'll probably have to start and Kevin will come off the bench. And Kevin and Richard said, deal. Where does that come from? It comes from trust and belief of this is bigger than myself or my stats. It's about winning. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable because if you would have said coming into this season that the Cavs were going to start three big men in their starting lineup and Kevin Love isn't going to be one of them, I think people would have questioned like, okay, what level of buy-in when you have a starting lineup that everybody's 24 and under and you have a proven veteran like Kevin Love, what level of buy-in are you going to get? And Carter and I were talking last year, like it seemed, because last year was really the first time that the Cavs got a taste of playing competitive basketball again, like they started so well and whatnot. And Kevin unfortunately like he just couldn't stay he couldn't get healthy to be a part of that and and we felt so bad that that seemed to be the case that you finally have this opportunity where the Cavs are playing well things are clicking and whatnot and Kevin who's been through highs and lows in Cleveland wasn't able to contribute to that uh just because of what was going on physically. So uh, what's it like for you as someone that obviously has a great relationship with Kevin to to see him thrive in this role, to to get healthy again, to kind of uh, respond to an offseason where things didn't go his way with Team USA as well? Right. Well, I think Kevin obviously has had issues with his health, and that's hard, right? Because, you know, Kevin is an all-star. He's one of the most skilled big men in the NBA. Um, And then for me, when I talked to him or when he went to the bench or I told him this is going to prolong your career by 10 years, right? Because number one, where the league is, there's no real four man anymore. Mm-hmm. The four men of now are Giannis and Anthony Davis. Yes. No offense, Kevin. And, and Evan Mobley. You don't want to make problems with none of those guys. <laughs> but I said for you to be, and he knows this first, Kevin to be successful he has to be somewhat showcased in the offense, right? He has a proper floor space. He's an underrated passer. He's not going to just jack up shots, as you see. And But he needs to be showcased. You can't just stick him in a corner and just ask him to run up and down. It's just not the way the game is. And so by going to the bench and playing with a true 
pass first point guard in Ricky Rubio, you saw how it just skyrocketed that his his thing. And I said, dude, and coming off the bench, the attitude goes from, you know, as a starter, you go, it's my job to, to establish the game, help us win, and I'm going to get 34 minutes and I need to be A, B, C, and D. When you come off the bench, you go, I'm going to let this thing ride. And if I'm making, they're going to stay in. If not, I go on the bench. Freedom of mind is, and I say this all the time, is the most dangerous thing for any player. And for Kevin to be coming off the bench and to be going against second units, which I still think. Which is unfair. Unfair. He's both solidifying your, your, your offense. All right. But defensively, he's not the problem anymore. He's not getting picked on in that first unit where you have a extremely mobile hybrid three, four, two man nowadays, right? <laughs> in that first unit at the power forward position. So if we want to call it the power forward position, for me, having JB, having that arsenal of my first five is nice, right? And Isaac Okoro has taken leaps and bounds offensively this year, but let's be real. That's not where he gets his tick from. He gets yeah. his tick from locking players up. So if you really think about it, Darius Garland is a jack of all trades. Isaac Okoro, who's a, a defender mainly. Uh, 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 Lloyd Marketing, who is solid defensively, length, right? Can move his Which feet. no one would have thought, but he is. Well, he went to Arizona. He got to do something, right? Oh, <laughs> damn. There you go. <laughs> but, like, what Lori does is he spaces the floor, and he, he's not – he doesn't need 15 shots a game to be useful, right? He is very comfortable and excels at his role. Now, Evan Mobley, and we'll talk about him, obviously, but good God almighty. The kid is a stud. Young KG. The kid is a stud. But (laughs) then you get Jared Allen. So for me, defensively, even though Darius isn't the biggest guy in the world, you have four guys that are committed defensively to keeping the ball out so no easy threes and then you have to finish over a seven footer and jared allen it's jared allen never mobley are are top five to me in defensive player of the year award they just have to be yeah Yeah. and they complement each other so well yeah yeah, they, uh, they really I, do complement each other well. And you have Garland, who, as you mentioned, he's not the biggest. But we saw even, like, the Warriors teams that you guys had to play. Like, Steph was always in position, right? Like, he knew where he had to be. He was competing, going through screens. And, and that makes such a difference. You, you mentioned a, a few players already. Jared Allen, Laurie Markkinen, Evan Mobley. Who stands out to you as the player that's exceeded your expectations the most? Because there's a lot of good candidates to choose from. I think, you know, if if I'm talking about the the team, I think it's the team chemistry has exceeded expectations without a doubt. But I would say has to be, and not even close, Evan Mobley. Hmm. It's not even close. Defensively, he's a a specimen. It's beautiful to watch his his patience defensively, um, his ability to communicate what's going on, um, JB throws two or three different defensive um, uh, styles out there, whether that's a drop of an ice, a switch, a blitz. You know, he throw he could throw. He has so much defensive versatility. It's just like they had Giannis thinking last night. Well, the problem is Giannis goes. Giannis is never playing the guy in front of him. But the problem is when the guy in front of him is a seven footer, and the guy behind him is a seven footer, and the guy on his right hand is a 6'11", seven-footer, that space don't look the same. And so getting into where Giannis is so physical and attacking that initial defender, he's like, if I'm putting my head down to beat Evan, I can't see Jared Allen or Laurie Marketing or whoever else, Isaac Okoro, who's back there, who is aggressive towards swatting balls once they get up past the shoulder. And that's what I'm saying, like Evan, and also offensively, it's been a while, and maybe I don't watch every single team, every single game. It's impossible. I don't have enough time today, nor do I want to watch some of these scrubby teams. 
At least you're honest about it, right? Like some, so many people act like they watch every single game every team has played and every game every college team has played, right? Like you got to be the expert on everything. You can't, you can't own up to something you haven't watched, right? Not me. Not not us, Channing. We are not not a college pod. It's garbage. Sorry, no offense (laughs) to anybody in college. It's garbage. It's not so unrealistic. But that's a different podcast. To me, Evans and Jarrett's aggressiveness towards the rim is unparalleled. It has been a while since I've seen a pair want to embarrass you and dunk on you and finish uh, around the rim as ferocious as they do, right? Like Evan is a cool, chill, quiet kid, but he is a mother effer when it comes, when he can reach the rim. And I love it because I'm like, oh, he tried that. (laughs) I'm always shocked that like, damn, he tried to poke it on him like that, like, it's awesome to watch, and I'm happy for the city of Cleveland and Cleveland Cavs fans, and I'm happy that he's, you know, we interviewed him on Road Trip, and, like, right before the season. You guys um, were so much for that quiet young man. <laughs> he was so overwhelmed. <laughs> so much. It was a lot. And I'm like. It's the only time he's looked overwhelmed all year. Dude, I know, but it's like, <laughs> I get it. He doesn't, he has two personalities. The guy who probably does Legos at home and the guy who wants to physically and mentally embarrass you when it comes to basketball. And I love it. I love the switch. And I talk to Kevin all the time about him. And to me, he got a lot of Kevin Garnett in him. He got a lot of, not offensively, but like Chris Bosh in him. Like he got Amari's hands in timing um, and like finish around the rim. He's like a hybrid, but you know, it's like, oh, he needs to get stronger. Man, shut up. Look at Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah. Look at Kevin Durant. He will be okay. He's freaking 20 years old. Like he gonna whether he feels that or not, his he's always available, which is what you want all the time. Yeah, we we've said this a lot. Like he doesn't need to bulk up, he just needs to get no. man strength. Like yeah. he Functional just needs to, like he just needs to get like a grown ass man strength, which he doesn't have yet. And he still likes putting people in the basket. And that's the one thing that I think yes. we're so excited by. Cause when you, I mean, I'm sure you've been around a lot of dudes in your career chaining that, you know, you can like, okay, they they're tall. <laughs> and that, and that's why they're, they're hoopers, you know? Um, and, and, and like I, when you have someone who's so soft-spoken, you go, is he, does he really love it? And then you watch him oh. drop step and yam <laughs> yeah. and it's like, okay, this guy yeah. enjoys this job. Yeah. Oh, he enjoys it. And I think for me, his defensive timing is, is almost unparalleled. Can, like, can I ask you about that a yeah. little bit? Because every rookie says like defense in the NBA is impossible. Like it, like it feels like everyone, whether it's AD, all these great prospects, it takes them three, four years to really start like making legitimate, like if I'm on the floor, our team's a top five defensive team. Right. Right. Why is that not the case for Evan? Like, like, is it just his processing speed? Cause like there's a lot of freaks around the league physically, but is it, how much of it is in his kind of mental approach to the game on that end in so your mind? What I see is like, you know, I, I watch too much Instagram and YouTube and stuff like that. And uh, all of a sudden on my feed, there's farm dogs, right? So the dog lives outside with the sheep, with the animals and learns how to correct them and learns how to protect them. Jared Allen, Jared Allen is the lead farm dog. So Evan's <laughs> I got to change my talent, TikTok algorithm, bro. Dude, listen, <laughs> it's crazy. I got kids too. So they're looking at puppies and ducks. So I'm good to go. And this is, but for me, he didn't come into a culture or a team where defense wasn't pushed on him. So what he's learning is I can trust the guy behind me because the guy behind me is a stud. Oh, and the guy in front of me, the next two guys are committed to this also. So even if I make a mistake, it's because either somebody faked me out or it's just a basketball mistake. He doesn't have to overcompensate. He's so effing talented that even in his role, he's blowing it up. He's overflowing the cup of what his defensive responsibilities are because realistically, he could just be solid and he would look great because the guys around him are so good. But he's amazing and it makes him look Great. I mean, he's rookie of the year. It's not even, it shouldn't even be a, a case or a cause. 
no matter what make all defense. I mean, he's bananas. Stop. What what rookie is all defense in continuing? I think the Cavs are one game, a half a game out of first place. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And what's so what strikes me when I look at this team and what's so unconventional is normally young players come into the league and they're showing off their talent, right? Like you, you can see, oh, Trey Young, like he, he he's able to create for himself and others. They get their stats and whatnot. And then on the back end, it's okay. They're going to start learning winning habits. They're going to start uh, contributing on defense eventually as they get older and more mature. This team's almost doing it backwards where Carter shared a stat like, Every team that in the NBA right now that doesn't have a 20-point-per-game score is outside the playoffs except for the Cavs. Orlando, They're, Houston, San Antonio, New York, and Indiana, a bunch of teams who are not good. The Cavs are the only team that does not have a 20-point score that are, that are successful right now. Yeah, but those teams are absolute garbage juice on defense. <laughs> they, right? they are. Garbage. <laughs> just, it doesn't – when you have Kevin Love, getting 30 points off the bench when you have ricky rubio getting 30 points when you have darius garland your your generational all-star your starting point guard until he says no getting uh, that win in utah where i think he had like 12 11 and 13 or yeah, something with like a bad that. back yeah bad back <laughs> what that means you know what just give us a chance to win yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they they're, they're playing to win, right? Like they, they're playing unselfish basketball. They're playing team yeah. basketball. A uh, guy like Dean Wade, L- Laurie goes down and all of a sudden he's ready to step up. Lamar Stevens, he, he might be out of the rotation for Great. two weeks. He's ready to contribute. Like that's what's so exciting to me is that because they're starting defense and, and team concepts first, as Isaac Okoro gets better offensively, as Garland gets better, as Mobley gets better, as Allen gets better, like that is really scalable. And it, like kind of erases some of the concerns you have about, okay, well, how is this going to fit together? Are they going to learn how to win and whatnot? What, what do you view as like the ceiling of this core? Because it really does feel unprecedented in what they're putting together. Again, and I'm going to say this a lot. I was talking to Kevin the other day about what they might need. And for me, it's, it's bringing in a culture guy that is going to excel at his role. Right. So Rondo's been hurt um, and he's kind of getting the jam of it. But for me, you know, Dean Wade's been good. Uh, Stevens has been good, but for me, I would bring in somebody who's a hired gun off the bench, but like solid hired gun, not like this is about me hired gun, but like moving without the ball, creating double teams without the ball. And I'm not going to say like JJ Reddick or Kyle Korver, but I need somebody who can, uh, uh, guy in Boston, he starts. So Josh Richardson would be a great pickup for me, for me. And I say that because Josh Richardson wants to win. In this culture, he's going to slide right in and fit. And, you know, I know the rumors about, like, getting Dennis Schroeder, but I don't want somebody that needs to be ball dominant like that. I think Dennis Schroeder is a great pro. I think he's a good defender, a great defender. But for me, in that second unit, the fact that they look for Kevin makes him a threat for everyone else because Kevin really doesn't care about stats. He just wants to win. Mm-hmm. Winning is a hundred times more important to him than stats, but he knows that certain nights he has to take advantage of his opportunities, right? As most guys off the bench do. So bringing in a hired gun off the bench where he can create his own shot, right? Because Ricky would do that for everyone. But yeah. if you don't have Ricky and Rondo's a pass first guy, how do you get a double team, right? Mm-hmm. How do you create an advantage? You do that by having somebody who's, if they're 0 for 5, you know that mother effer going to shoot it five to six more times before you go on the bench. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got to ask, if, like, let's say, let's just pull a name out of a hat. Let's say they pick up Eric Gordon, someone like that who doesn't, you know, maybe cost a ton of their, their assets on the court right now, just, you know, draft compensation. Like, how far do you think that this team can go in the playoffs? I mean, I dare not dream of the East Eastern Conference Finals, no, but no, no, I'm, I'm kind of dreaming. I love the Cavs, but you're drunk on that one, buddy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, so should their goal be to win a series? You, for me, I for the future of this team, I want them to go go the go the length the first round. But if they're well, they're top four. I think yeah, they they, win the they first might round. have a tasty matchup in that first round. If they're Channing. top four. They win the first round. But yeah. let me tell you this: the Nets, Bucks, Sixers. Uh, and I'm 50-50 on Chicago. I know everyone's mad and this and that, but I don't trust because I have not seen it 
Zach Levine in the playoffs, Lonzo Ball in the playoffs. I haven't seen um, uh, God knows Vucevic, this fan base doesn't Vucevic respect Demar in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've been well, 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 player well, time but, in this fan but, base. But I feel like their one problem is hitting the three ball. Mm, where yeah. if, if Demar, what are they going to do? They're going to do the same thing we did: double team the crap out of them. Yeah, everywhere. No, there's no one on one anymore. And so now Booch is going to have to shoot threes. Other guys that aren't used to, except for Zach Levine, depending on how he comes back, I don't know if they are that level yet. Where I'm looking at, Giannis is an absolute monster in the playoffs. Now. Bucks feels like an unwinnable. Series. Yeah, Bucks. <laughs> yeah, as great no, no, as that no, game was. Yeah, Bucks and and here's wild. Bucks, Sixers, and and Nets to me are. Those are the three teams. And the only reason I say the Sixers is because Joel Embiid on the East and Jokic on the West is absolutely transforming basketball. His physicality and his nastiness is almost impossible to guard. Now, I think that's a favorable, favorable matchup for the Cavs. Why? You can throw four, three to four different people on Embiid and make it work. I don't know what five to ten people you're going to throw on Giannis and make that work. Well, plus, plus, that, plus, as it currently stands right now, Cavs really only have one ball handler, and they got right. the best on-ball defender at the yeah. guard position maybe in the league. And their bench is even better than it was last year, which is crazy, right? Because now they could go small ball and play to five. When now Jared Allen, who does Jared Allen play, right? And now you're relying on – Evan, who's not as physical as Giannis. Now, he may be good game one. Game two, three, four, he's going to be playing with a football chest plate. <laughs> it just it so happened in the Sun series. Like DeAndre Ayton was playing him, you know, Jay Crowder. All these guys are playing him real close. Game one, two, now all of a sudden, three, four, five, six, <laughs> they, were, they were sitting like this. <laughs> that chest plate, don't, they had bruises. Like they were taking punches from Mike Tyson. But I think they can win around. I would like them to, if I'm looking at their anger, I want them to be angry next season. I want them to be hungry. I don't want them to like win and be full and fed. I want them to be yeah. like, damn, we we didn't hit our own expectations. Because then you're going to get vets to come in to Cleveland and say, I'm the missing piece. I'm willing to fit in this role. When that's how Channing you Fry. Right, right. Well, I got traded there, but you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. God so, knows you wanted to come, though. Come on. I, oh, I do well, want to between there and the Clippers, and it's tough, man. I like, I know, obviously, Richard's my guy, and playing with Braun uh, and Kyrie and Kevin, uh, uh, I was just like, all right, well, we got a chance to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and in a lot of ways, you you kind of unlocked that team's chemistry, you know, and yeah, they and, were some dickheads, man. Good Lord. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm coming from Orlando. We're like oh for the month. And we're like beating the crap out of teams and nobody's happy. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Like, God dang. Like, this is a great time. Like, this is fun. We can just show up and win. And we don't practice for three hours. I had Scott Skiles that year. And I think Scott's a great dude. We were practicing for three and a half hours and losing the next day. That that's no fun. I, I actually wanted to ask you about that because you played yes. on you played on teams that were title favorites, you know, or or darn near title favorites. And you've also played on those kind of scrappy upstart teams like this Cavs team, where you know I and Justin, I've been saying all year, like to Cavs fans, like if you're not having fun right now, you're never ever gonna have fun because this is the no. most fun year. We're not we're stressed like at all. Like like what is it? What's what's it like being on one of these upstart teams? And is it in a way kind of more fun than like? wearing that weight of championship expectations? Yes and no. It, it's fun when you don't have LeBron, and it's fun when you do have LeBron. And I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the year that I can strictly remember, we won 48 games and didn't make the playoffs because it was a stupid rule, and we lost to the Grizzlies and Dallas Mavericks, unfortunately. But for us that year, the turmoil at training camp was bad, so they, like, blew it up. But – in basketball, sometimes less is more. And I've said this, and, you know, obviously people think I hate Colin. I don't hate Colin Sex. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great pro. But him getting hurt allowed room and responsibility 
for Darius Garland to say, well, it's on me now. I don't, if I have a bad game, we lose. And that responsibility is the greatest gift any player can get, especially a young, talented player, right? If you notice, Jokic and Nurkic were together, and you move Nurkic, all of a sudden Jokic goes, well, it's on me to be special. And he blows up, right? You have uh, Steph Curry and Monte Ellis. And you say, thank you, Monte, the all-star. Like, we need, we need to move. And Steph, this is on you. This is on you to make it work with Clay and, and Draymond. It works, right? It, it just what it is. It's like less is more sometimes. So, anyways, on that Phoenix team, they blew it up. Less was more. Goran Dragic, Eric Bledsoe, myself. Marquis, you know, Morris and those brothers, Miles Plumley, uh, Joe Green, we all had a meeting. And I'm like, guys, they have no expectations for us, right? And Jeff Hornacek had a great thing. He was like, win two out of three on home, win one out of three on the road, and you're 500. He goes, go on a road win, go on a road streak, you're more than 500. He goes, you win, you lose four in a row, you don't lose four in a row. Good teams don't lose three in a row. <laughs> so don't do that. And we won 48 games. Because dudes go, this quarter is you, this is me. And we had to communicate because we had been given, we weren't the little brother anymore. And this team is not the little brother anymore. This is not like the guys that are out there playing and why they're playing is because they've been given responsibility. They've been given this opportunity and they are hungry to make sure that this is what they're known for uh, and they're putting their mark on the NBA. Speaking of that Suns team, I actually looked it up because I was wondering because the Cavs win total uh, in Vegas was 26 and a half. And I was like, has a team ever doubled their preseason win total? Yeah, we did. That Suns team we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, it was just like uh, we were the dismantling of that uh, Roy Hibber, David West, uh, Indiana Pacers team. I remember that team won like 17 in a row. And we were just like, Oh, dude, we're about to bust their ass. And then I think I beat them by 40 or something like that. And then it just showed the league what to do. We just played small ball and mm-hmm. shot the crap out of the three ball. Um, we had dudes that just embraced their role, right? Like Goran was second team all NBA that year, which is bananas. He was he was nasty that he year. was unbelievable. Dude, we had the best screen and roll in NBA, and they were like, well, Channing, what play do you want? I said, man, shut up. You know what play we're running. You big dummy. <laughs> just pick and we pop. just knew what it was. Yeah, pick, pick and pop. pop. And then if you want to play Goron one-on-one, he was going to back it up like Ginobili and come right at you like a missile. And then Gerald Green had some crazy dunks. Mile Plumley had a career year. P.J. Tucker was balling. That's the year that P.J. Tucker held James Harden to four points. Right? And obviously, two years later, James Harden said, what's up? I'm tired of you playing me. (laughs) But we just believed, right? We just believed and nobody had expectations. And we made people take us serious. But then by then, it was too late. We had already won 20 games. Yeah, Yeah. Cavs Cavs have done very much the same thing this year. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I think what's going to get them eventually is just the the lack of experience, right? Because you can't really replicate that. And as you mentioned, like, they might have a chance against any team in the East, but going through round after round, like, there's a cumulative toll that it takes on players, right? What were some of the lessons that you learned playing in the playoffs for the first time? And if you were in the Cavs locker room and you're kind of giving these guys a pep talk or, or advice about how they can prepare for the shift that comes in the postseason, what would that advice be? I think, one, every series is one, and this is throughout the history of basketball. If it's a seven-game series, two games are won by your two best players. The coach has to win a game and your bench has to win a game. So when it's your time to win your thing, you better be ready. So for me, my time was against Toronto and my time was against Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Detroit, we really didn't need, we just had a little bit of everybody. We told they butt up, right? We were ready <laughs> to get up out of Detroit. We didn't want to be there, no way. Like people forget that Kyrie, that shot that Kyrie made oh, was ridiculous huge. from the corner. Huge, right? We forgot Braun and how good he played. We just swept him up out of there so quick, nobody remembered. But then the Atlanta series, uh, I had the one good game. I think that was game three, maybe. And then people forget Kyrie and I ran one play the whole third quarter. 
And then we end up doing that against Toronto too. Uh, we ran that little corner play. We're like Delhi scored, I scored. But you have to embrace that role, man. If you're not, if you're constantly trying to expand your role and, and like, well, coach, I want to do this and coach, I want to do that. Instead of honing your role, you're going to have problems in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You can't be okay and get that same thing off. You can't be okay at dribbling and try to dribble in the playoffs. You have to be great. That's why you see the greats be special during the playoffs. So whatever you're good at, be great at it and make sure that you can do that no matter what anybody does. Like there's yeah. only so many things you could do. Like Jared Allen finishing on double teams or not double team, but um, switches is the greatest thing he could do for the Cavs and do it over and over and over again to where in the playoffs, if they go, well, we'll make Jared Allen beat him. That's your time. He's going to have to beat him. (laughs) Right? The Hawks said, hey, we want Channing and Kevin to beat us. And we beat the crap out of them. And they said, we got (laughs) to switch this up. Right? And then for us, we said, hey, we want Draymond Green to beat us game seven. Draymond Green had 32 point triple double. Right? Ridiculous. Yeah. One but of them. Nobody who, talks about that. That, that was we, we, we did a rewatch series yeah, a couple I, years ago, and like watching that first half, it's like an out of body experience. I, I was, oh, I was convinced the result was going to change watching it. Like that, that was part of the reason I didn't want to do a rewatch because as if I'm watching Jigar it, that anxiety was right back. Those five, right yeah. out of the swung, third quarter, swung the game, swung the game, and then obviously everyone loves to block the shot, the defense, but like. Jr. Mo Williams had an appearance, oh, which was Dante nutty. Jones was awesome. Dante and- Jones came in. I was like, "Who the hell is he putting in?" <laughs> <laughs> but they balled out in that role. But how crazy is that? Mo Williams didn't even play in any other thing, and you put him in Game Seven of the NBA Finals because he was ready. Dante Jones was ready. You got to be that guy. One You're of my favorite. One of my favorite anecdotes. Yeah, one of my favorite anecdotes for that from that playoffs. I'm pretty sure Dante Jones lost money because he got oh. so many texts. <laughs> he he loved it. On. I don't know who paid for them texts. It wasn't him. Somebody <laughs> paid for them texts. Well, that, that's that's what it. you want to hear. We I need do. it though. We yeah. need it because Dante is mouthy and would talk the most crap. So if your teammate, your brother is talking, you gotta back it up. He'd be like, "Man, bust his ass, Channing." I'm like. Uh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. You know, it was great, but that you need that guy. Oh man, glory days! I'll never, ever, ever get I, sick of hearing about no. them. That uh, thank you very much for your contributions you to guys. our sports happiness. <laughs> I do want to ask about the city of Cleveland itself. Um, yeah. uh, obviously, oh, you know, it feels like you guys have just an amazing. You, this that whole team still, in a lot of ways, has especially you and Richard, kind of have that connection to the city. And we got All Star in Cleveland this year, which yeah, is going to be, be fun. There. And uh, yeah, you're going to be there. I think we're going to be there too. Yes, sir. might have to have some vino. Um, <laughs> but I do want to ask you, like, when you got to Cleveland, like, what did you kind of know about the city and, and and the fans and its history? And like, how do you feel about it after having played there? So, what's wild is after coming from Orlando, and, and this is okay. Orlando fans are going to hate me. I just don't like Orlando. <laughs> I tried to find what Orlandonians were and who they were, but our fans were mostly fans of other teams. Like, like our place wasn't packed except when other teams come in. Now hmm. that's not bad, right? It just is what it is. And you know, that culture just didn't really, we just didn't connect. Could be because our teams were doo-doo, but you know, <laughs> that never helps. It, it doesn't help. Yeah. Think about, Think about the talent we had on that team. Victor Oladipo in his prime, Vooch, Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, Tobias Harris, Elfred Payton, Kyle Quinn. Stop. <laughs> Dwayne Dedman, like, and we're lo- we're we're over a month. So it couldn't have been us. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> so once I got off the plane to go to Cleveland, I'm leaving sunny Florida, and man, it's cold as hell in Cleveland. And I'm staying at the Ritz downtown like, oh, my Lord, what did I get myself into? But what happened was my style is, and so is Richard's, I'm a dive bar guy. I want to see what the city is like. I, I know I'm playing basketball, but whether that's ZZ Tops, Dover Garden, anywhere downtown, 
like people know we were out because we want to we want to hang out like it's a college town. And then you go over to the bridge. I think that's not only Brentwood, but what's uh, uh, God, what's over the bridge, the nice little bar area where it's like a bunch of bars. and. A- oh, yeah. Um, what's it called? Because neither what? of us are from Cleveland. No, no, no. I, I stayed there. I stayed there last last time in, in anyways, like Ohio City. Like, yeah, with like Townhouse. Uh, or, yeah, uh, town, 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 town Hall and yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. those ones. Yeah. Town Hall. There yeah, we town go. Hall. Town Hall. There is, you go. What's my spot, by the way? Town Hall is delicious. Is that where you're going to be when you're back in town? You swinging by town hall? I, you know what's crazy? I am TNT got me running around like a wild man, so I don't know where I'm gonna be. I might be at the hotel lobby, you know, drinking some <laughs> Naomi for a second. Like, <laughs> um, uh, maybe I'll ship myself some wine, but I'll say this about the people of Cleveland they, I know I got traded for Verishaw, who they loved. So at first, they were like, Who the hell is this dude? And I get it, right? So I wasn't really loved at first. And then I think I just was like, man, this is such a good situation. Like, the coach is keeping it real with me. I'm on a team with vets. Think about it. I was the oldest guy and the only guy with kids on the Orlando Magic teams. <laughs> so, like, I didn't really connect with anybody. And on this team, I'm like, guys, let's go to dinner. You know, like, we're all the same age. <laughs> and that's how it started to be in the text chain. You know, I would send funny gifts at random hours of the night just to get the guys to, like, realize this is a game. And, like, chemistry is just as important as practicing. Um, but I love the city of Cleveland. I My family loved it. They treated my kids and my wife and my family like the best, the best, the best. And, like, uh, anything the city of Cleveland ever needs from us or from me, um, I would try my hardest to do it. Uh, I... I endear myself to three cities realistically and that's portland phoenix and and cleveland and not Uh, orlando and it wasn't orlando it wasn't (laughs) la lakers either and that's no offense and new york is just too big and there you know i love new york but we were even worse in new york than we were in orlando good lord but like i the food is better than what people think obviously the the people are driven by sports whether that's you know, Ohio State, whether that's Toledo, whether that's Cincinnati, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, hockey, right? Going up Cleveland Monsters game, right? I t- my son started playing hockey before he started playing basketball. Wow. <laughs> because of the Monsters game. Um, and so, like, you just, like, endear yourself to the city. And then they just let me, you know, I, I had the greatest time there and I had the worst time in my life there. And both times I felt like a gigantic hug from the people uh, and that I can't, I can't ever repay. I think sometimes people understand like mental health and Kevin talks about it. If I wasn't in Cleveland, I don't know who I'd be as a person because I don't know if like me going out to restaurants and people, you know, random people just give me a hug and say, Hey, like, you know, just praying for you or whatever you're going through. Like those type of things really kept me going um, when I personally feel like I had no business playing basketball, <laughs> full depressed because both my parents died, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I did it because like, that's where the love was keeping my, my love tank full. I, I mean, I love hearing that because at the end of the day, like we all understand that it's a business and whatnot, but like there, there's still those special moments, right? Like, and there's the special connections between fans and the players. And uh, that's one of the fortunate things about us being able to yeah. do this podcast and whatnot is we can still like, we don't have to pretend like we're journalists. We, we don't yeah. have to pretend like we're objective and, and we can just kind of wear our hearts on the sleeve. So uh, when you have someone like yourself, that's made such an impact on the fan base hearing how much of an impact the fan base made on you is, is something that's really awesome. And oh, for, for sure. people that haven't experienced Cleveland and haven't experienced all the, the luster, uh, what would you recommend for people coming down for all-star that they, they shouldn't leave Cleveland without e- either trying or seeing? Uh, honestly, all-star is a weird time because you're going to get so much implants. Mm-hmm. I would say come before the Mayflies come. Right. I would say come during baseball season. Right. Because to me, downtown is cracking. Everybody loves the what are you guys called? Not the Indians anymore. You're called the Guardians. The Guardians. Right. Like G it up. Yeah. Um, Whatever that thing is. And then like see it that way. I I just don't. You're going to get everybody's experience. People from Chicago, Indiana, Toronto, everyone, New York. So it's going to be very Super Bowl-esque. 
But if I wanted to visit Cleveland, if I wanted to go and get some grain and vacation in Cleveland, like Joe Kim Soa says, Joe Kim Noah, <laughs> I'm a foodie. I like wine, beer, sports. And I like to have a good time with good people because it is literally like a college town. Like, no expectations. You don't need to dress up. You can get in everywhere, you know? Uh, what is that steak place that's delicious? Obviously, I have a couple of favorite restaurants. Dante's uh, is my favorite. I, I, I had I steak there last time I was in town uh, with my wife, uh, and she loved it. Uh, Marble Room is, I think, was that's it Chop? Chop Steakhouse? Chop Steakhouse is good. Um, but again, it's just about the people who make the city. Um, and even though the river looks disgusting, it's sort of nice <laughs> to look at during the summer. <laughs> Who knows what's in that river, boy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I think we we don't want to know, but nevertheless, I do want to ask one more All Star question. Yeah, yeah. What's it going to take to get our boy Kevin the three point contest? Hey, Come have on, you've been you bugging got, him to compete. You got to bug him. You got to get him in. Well, the problem is, yes, I had because if we could do appearances for Chosen Family together, that would be nice. You know, sell slang some wine. Um, but no, 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 like take his time, go back home, like recharge his batteries. Like that makes after sense. The contest, right? After oh, yeah. contest. You being He's an old man now. being engaged is a thousand percent more important uh, for the team than you winning uh, the cost of a private jet from Cleveland to, <laughs> to the Hamptons. So, you know, for me, it's just like it's nice if you want to be famous or if, like no one else was going to be there. I'd tell him to do it. But like Darius Garland, Evan Mobley is going to be there. I think Jared Allen might make it. They, um, they, the guys they all injured, better. So, oh, right. Yeah. That's, they all better. But, you know, it's. It's it's the thing. It's just not as popular to vote in a traditional center that is dominant on both ends of the court. It's just, you know, it is what it is. Yep. No, you, you're completely right. Uh, before we wrap this up, you did mention Chosen Family. Let people know what, what it's all about. Let's uh, let's give you the opportunity to plug that stuff. Well, I think it started with, um, you know, for me, I've always been into wine. I, I love what wine is. It's not just something that you drink and just, you know, try to get drunk. I think everything has a story. Um, and so for me, Kevin and I, my last year, we're sitting next to each other, just talking about something that we both love that we wanted to get into. Uh, obviously I retired and we started this here in Oregon. So, um, it is a, it's a wine company. Uh, we sell wine, we sell different types of wine. I mean, right here, I'm looking at three different, this is Oregon Pinot. This is Walla Walla Syrah. This is Sonoma Coast Pinot. This is rosé chardonnay rosé this is oregon uh chardonnay so for us we do collaborations uh with our favorite winemakers and trying to really use our platform to talk about their story um and wine for me was just a connector that when both my parents died there were certain things like life became very simple um and i just wanted to laugh and feel love and being able to sit at a table uh, talk about why you like the wine, what's up with food, um, laugh and and not feel like your opinion was wrong. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Because you're sensitive at that point uh, was huge. And so for me to be able to get in this industry with uh, four of my best friends has been awesome. And it's uh, it's been great and we're growing. Um, it's it's just something that's new. I've never been able to be artistic as a basketball player. It's very, basketball is like, did you win? Did you lose? How many points? Did you have? That's it. Right? There's no like, oh, how'd you feel? They don't give a crap about how you felt. <laughs> but wine is like, and my artistic expression of not only that year, but that grape, that varietal, and uh, my relationship with that winemaker. And we have four different winemakers making uh, eight, almost eight different wines. So uh, right now it's chosenfamilywines.com as you can get it. Um, we're starting to do distribution in certain places and growing. But when you retire, you need to find something that uh, outside of basketball that really gets you going. Um, and I took a chance of being a rookie in this industry. Um, and people have really responded great. Um, I'm a part of all of it. So this is not me just sticking my name on it. You know, our name is is only in the signature in the back. I don't know if you can see that. But like, that's it. And we're not sponsored. This is not me being like, oh, Channing wants to, you know, make a trillion dollars off you. This is me trying to introduce something um, and teach and learn uh, about something that I love that I uh, didn't get an opportunity to do it or learn about it when I grew up in Arizona. Uh, but now that I live in Oregon, um, 
We live in wine country, basically. Close yeah, not a lot country. of good wines uh, probably being Ooh. produced in uh, in Arizona. <laughs> oh no, I mean there is. I think right, uh, really? some hotter climate. Yeah, Tempranillo stuff, a lot of stuff from Spain. It's all that tells you I don't know shit about. Yeah, wine. I was about to say that proves how how little we know. Like I, I find wine no, to be no, no, really that, intimidating. That's not thing. I, that's I find not it to be thing. super intimidating because like I, I've gotten into rum, then I got into whiskey, then tequila. Like I'm, I'm like going to tastings, learning about it. Wine is so intimidating. I, I it's and see, I, and that's what I'm saying. It shouldn't right. And so allow me to like simplify it for you. Like trust me that I'm doing the work to find good producers who have great, um, who are making great wine, who are great people, right? Where you can, on every collaboration, so anything with a crazy label like this is a collaboration. We only do like a hundred cases of this. So this is their stamp of approval. So when I talk about this bottle, I'm more talking about, I love what this guy already does. He happened to do a collaboration with me and make this. So if this runs out, please go find him and learn more about that guy. Um, I think wine should not be a snobby thing. Wine should be a fun thing where everyone's opinion, everyone, it should be a conversation starter. You shouldn't be drinking wine because, you know, oh, well, I don't want to look like an idiot. You should be drinking wine because you're like, dude, I'm really interested in like, what does this taste like? Or this is what I liked last week. And let me try this this week. Like, it should be fun and exciting. And I'm trying to change a culture of that, especially being a 38-year-old Black guy in the wine industry. So, you know, we're trying to move the needle here, and it's been fun. It's been hard. But uh, if you like wine, if you want to get in it, stay with us. We're trying to explain it in a simple, fun way where it's, you don't have to have your pinky out, even though I do <laughs> like a pinky out. I'm a pinky out boy myself. Um, but it's just fun, man. It's like, dude, come on, man. Have a glass of wine. Watch, watch the Cavs win a game. And, uh, you know, just keep it pushing. Uh, and a you great, know a great the- comment in the chat, Justin, from What's RK. That? Wine isn't intimidating unless it's paired with gold. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we should probably wrap this up. Get your That's pinkies fine. out, guys. You know what? Embrace the pinky. You got to embrace the pinky. Channing, thank you so much for taking thank the time and, and coming out. We really do appreciate it. Thanks to all our listeners uh, that are tuning in live. If you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs.